Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Today, I'm really happy and really excited as I've got a unique chance of interviewing a unique athlete. Uh, this athlete has been a two-time world champion, both in junior and under 23 categories. He was an Olympian in Tokyo, where he got an Olympic diploma. He races for one of the big structures on the UCA World Cup. He's been in many World Cup podiums and... I just don't have anything else to say about him like he can tell us himself because today I've got here with me to join the podcast Anton Cooper. Good morning Anton, how are you doing today? Morning, good thank you. How are you doing? It's been I imagine a tough week for you after that fall in Andorra in which you fractured your scapoid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the best best week. I mean, the race didn't last too long. It was only like not even halfway, actually, three laps. And then I had a crash on a, a super easy section. But there was this this thumb here. It's, you, it's a, a little bit blue and bruised. But um, luckily, there's no bones broken. Um, they suspected, yeah, at the start, maybe my scaphoid was, was fractured. But it's just a, a muscle injury. Um, and hematoma bruising so yeah it's it's healing up quite nice and fast and i can get out on the road bike now so that's a good start so well that's that's really amazing to hear uh breaking up the the early early thoughts that thought people people thought you might be out for a little bit longer but it's great to hear that you'll be back racing i imagine you won't be traveling this weekend to snowshoe no i won't be in snowshoe this week um or, or Montana actually but that was uh, also a decision we made a lot earlier already because of the commonwealth games which are quite important for well commonwealth nations obviously not so much europeans but um <clears throat> for us it's really important so i'll be representing new zealand at those instead and that's i think the race is on the 3rd of august so already it's only two weeks away from now well uh, for those who don't know anton has been racing in the commonwealth games for a while now He's gotten a gold medal so far and a silver. And I imagine he'll be aiming, aiming for the gold again this year. So that's really good to hear that you'll be back racing sooner than many of us thought. Uh, congratulations on that. And now I'm going to try and make his little, little resume of your whole career because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> Uh, so uh, right now, Anton is racing for Trek Factory Racing Team. As many of you know, he's a teammate with Yolanda Neff, Evie Richards, uh, RJ Amos, Muddy Monroe, and Harriet Harden. They're one of the strongest structures right now in the World Cup. And it's definitely a young team, which is going to bring, bring a lot of surprises, I believe. Now, uh, going back a little bit. Uh, how did Anton Cooper get on a bike first when he was a kid? Well, I started out just, um, my parents had a little bit of land uh, uh, where I grew up kind of more in the country. So we could build some tracks on the, on the property and some jumps and, you know, rock gardens and um, other obstacles to challenge myself. And I, I used to just ride around the property and also around the, lo the local area. And um, so that's how it started. I'd have fun with my mates on a bike and, and then I'd explore a bit further uh, with dad. He was not a professional or, or, or a racer or anything like that, but he just enjoyed riding a bike for fun. So that was where it really started for me. And, and I was into a lot of sports as a young child. I played uh, football and tennis and I was doing cross-country running. And so cycling for me was just another sport 
that I was interested in and another one that I turned out to be quite good at. So, but at the start, it was just about playing on a bike and having fun, really. So from what you're telling me, you had your own training camp in your garden. That is, that is quite amazing. <laughs> Pretty much. I think I had like over one kilometer of tracks at, at some point when I was growing up in the backyard. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So you just mentioned you did practice a lot of sports, uh, cross country, uh, bike, bike, both of them. I imagine all of them were just for fun because you enjoyed working out and doing physical activity. And when did you decide cycling is what I want to do instead of doing this or that? Um, I slowly started to drop the sports one by one. The first I When I got to high school, I, I stopped playing football. And then when I was maybe 16 was about when I stopped doing uh, running, cross-country running. And that was when I really started just to focus purely on, on cycling and mountain biking. And so I think, yeah, 2011 was my first year traveling overseas to Europe. And I went and raced uh, my first World Cups over there as a junior and Back in those days, 2011-12, the, there was at every World Cup, there was a Junior World Cup as well, um, rather than the Junior World Series. So, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I had a lot of success early on, and that was probably when I decided that I was quite good at this and I should <laughs> focus like 100% on, on cycling. I mean, yes, absolutely. I once, once, once you're into it, there's no going back from it. So now yes. mentioning... I think you said you started traveling when you were 15 around Europe. I've got it noted. But before that, in 2008, I believe you were 14, 15 already. Yeah. Uh, you were already the New Zealand and continental champion. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I think I won my first national title when I was maybe 13 in New Zealand. So that was in the under 15 category, my second year as under 15. And then I also won like first year, second year under 17, first year under 19, second year under 19. So yeah, I guess like from my yeah under 15 category already, I was, I was winning at the national level. Um, when I was under 17 was when I first went to Australia and started racing the Australians and I was also beating them. And then, yeah, when I was first year under 19 was when I first came and raced like the Europeans and internationally. So, you know, when you race in New Zealand and Australia, it's, it was hard to know how good you are because until this, this recent era with myself and Sam Gaze and Ben Oliver and stuff, like we didn't really have super strong um riders in the world cup or at least racing in new zealand we had kashi lukes he raced for bianchi and cannondale i think for quite a while teammates with absalon and he had some good good races as well good world cups but at the same time like when you raced in new zealand you were not racing against really really strong riders so while you were winning the races and winning by a lot you don't know how strong you really are until you come especially to europe and race um because that at that at the moment is where like the the stronghold of cycling is and where all the talented juniors and stuff come from so yeah i think it wasn't really until 2011 that i realized that actually yes i am like i was a world-class sort of rider and and that was helped me get noticed by some teams as well i mean yes absolutely i was i was taking a lot of some info today looking for to chat about all the all the races you had one and stuff and i literally lost the count of how many national championships you'd won 
Yeah, I think I think I have eight elite national titles now. I won my first in 2013, and I think I've won six in a row now since 2017. So, um, but I had also yeah maybe five category titles in the junior categories as well. So yeah, maybe maybe 13 total, something like that, in in at least in cross country mountain bike, but. I actually, my first national title was in like um, duathlon, which is cross uh, cycling and running. Mm-hmm. And then I, my second after that was in cross country running as part of like a, the my school team. So it was, yeah, the cycling came a little later in my sports career, but um, it still turned out to be the one that I was the best at. I mean, clearly, uh, one of the top riders in the world right now, and you've been for a while now. So I think I think you made a good choice. <laughs> Thank you. And now, uh, jumping onto the junior year, when you started traveling abroad, when you started seeing the world competing in many races, how is it for Anton Cooper, uh, the kid, if you want to play like that, getting out of New Zealand, getting on a plane, and like, hey, it's time to compete in Europe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a big change. I was 16 years old. I, you know, like I, I was traveling overseas by myself, so... I, I went by myself to Europe, like the complete opposite side of the world. I stayed with uh, a Swiss family, a, a French-speaking Swiss family in, in Neuchâtel. Um, and it was a beautiful place. I spent a few weeks there training and did a, a small local race. And then I traveled with a, a Swiss-French family to the first, my first ever World Cup in Novemesto. And that was actually the first year that Novemesto held a World Cup, uh, I think in 2011. So I was at the... The very first event that they had and yeah i i turned up on the start line and i didn't really know i knew i i thought i was pretty fast but i didn't really know i was racing um at the time i think the jens shermans he had won almost all the the world cups and junior and um the european champs and all these things so there was a lot of strong riders with victor koretsky and um some of the spanish guys pablo rodriguez were riding very fast at this time and So I knew who they were, but I don't think they knew who I was <laughs> because why would they look at the results from the New Zealand national champs? Like no one had ever from New Zealand come and raced well in, in Europe from those categories. So yeah, I knew exactly who they were, and but they didn't know who I was. But for sure after that race, then they definitely knew who I was after that one because I, I won the race by almost two minutes. And um, yeah, I think I established myself straight away on the European scene and the World Cup scene as a rider who was who was fast. Yeah, I but, mean, yeah, I mean, it's difficult like to come from New Zealand to Europe. It's a completely different culture. No, the family I stayed with, they didn't speak um, really any English. One the daughter, she spoke some English, but yeah, it was kind of funny how how these things happen. At the time, we got in in contact with this family because uh, the son he rode for Giant um, Europe or Switzerland, and okay. I was riding for Giant like New Zealand. So that was kind of the connection, okay, and they looked after me really well. But yeah, it was a completely different culture, and but a really cool experience all the at the same time yeah yes i mean i was taking a look at the races and i was going to say you were modest because his first junior year you had two world youth junior series wins already in novia mesto and baldisole and then you were second in the world championships after koretsky yeah but i think i've got to say after that race i was taking a look at the results and the races and who were running 
And I think I'm going to rename you as a French nightmare. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I've taken a few wins from some of them, and especially in the junior category, like there's some very strong French riders, but I, I also managed to get the better of them most of the time. But Victor, Victor and I, we had some really good battles over the years. First year junior, he he won. I was second. My second year junior, I won, and he was second. I think Caro was third. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. under 15, 2015, the same thing. I, I was first there and then Victor was second. So <laughs> there was some history between us. I mean, absolutely. Yes. I was taking a look and I was like, I mean, these guys must hate each other because they were constantly racing each other and fighting <laughs> each other. I uh, know that. I mean, it must have been great races to see. I was going to say the French Nightmare doesn't only come from racing Koretsky. Like I decided to give you that name because on the Worlds in 2012, you were a junior world champion. And in that race, he was not only chased by Koretsky, but I believe you did your first attack on the start loop. And you had literally four French riders chasing you. At the like at the first first lap, it was Anton Cooper, and like ten seconds behind, I believe it was four French juniors trying to chase a New Zealander. So yeah, yeah, it was something like that. I mean, the French team was very strong, and they had a lot of depth, and I mean, they still do. But yeah, I remember I was maybe the only only rider who was capable of of beating those guys at the time. So. Um, I was happy I pulled it off, especially after the year before when Victor won. I really wanted to win the world championships. And uh, yeah, I was, I was happy I got the job done. It was a tough race. They they threw a lot at me and a lot of, I do remember a lot of French riders. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. No wonder they were, they were all over the place. It's true. France was and still is, I, I'd say, the first world power in terms of producing uh, mountain bike riders. It's crazy the level and the quality that they have it over there, how they work with the people and the riders. And it proves uh, having the quality and the riders that they have, such as Lecomte, Koretsky, Saru, Karad. I mean, world champions or maybe soon to be world champions in Lecomte's case, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, uh, we go on to under 23. Uh, we changed the category. Uh, you're racing against people four year older than you. So that's that's a bit. So I see that on the first race you were lapped in Amstad. Yeah, yeah, I was. I I was quite unwell actually in my first race and I had like really, you know, in my junior year I won every race. In in 2012, I won every race I entered. National champs, I won, I think I raced four World Cups. I won all of them. I won World Champs. I won the Continental Champs, like everything. And so when you go to under 23, you you hope that that continues and you can be, I guess, first year. There's really no one really wins anything in the first year under 23. It's very hard to do. So I want I wanted to be like the exception to the rule, I guess. And and go and win some races. And my first World Cup was a disaster. I remember in Alpstadt, I had like a stomach bug or food poisoning or something like that. But I also was fighting some kind of chest infection and cold. So um, I was really run down and quite quite sick. And I think Victor and I, we, maybe we both got lapped out, but um, I remember riding around with him at the back of the field thinking, well, this is not how we expected our, <laughs> our first race in under 23 to go. Yes, definitely. But you made up for it very soon because you immediately changed that. Then in Andorra, I saw you got an 18th position, which which is quite decent. I mean, you're racing against other people, but then you go to Canada and then you win the race. 
How is that? Yeah. How does a first year under 23 win a, an under 23 race? Yeah. I mean, Andorra was another one. I, I was in training in Spain before that, and I think I was really strong, actually. I, I had really good form. But um, I also I got food poisoning before that race. So I think I had, like, food poisoning twice that year or, or maybe even three times. It was I don't know what I was eating, but something something not not good and uh so i really struggled to be fit and healthy before andorra um and i remember i was surprised actually what my result was better than i thought i would go there but yeah when i got to monsignan i was fit i was healthy and everything came together i remember having yeah just perfect legs that race and also you know when you race at the front you're close to winning a world cup it gives you a lot of energy in the race and motivations and adrenaline so i think still today it's the youngest person to ever win a under 23 world cup i was only 18 at the time first year and i don't know how long the record will last but hopefully a while <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was taking a look. Uh, then we jump into under 23 second year and you are the Commonwealth lead champion with many people don't know the Commonwealth. It's essentially South Africa, UK, New Zealand, Australia and all the islands around. And and they're great writers. I mean, you had Alan Hadley at the point, you got some gays, you got Anton Cooper, you got uh, Ben, the Australian you mentioned before. So, I mean, it wasn't a simple race. And in your second under 23 year, you got the gold medal already there. And then yeah. you keep going. And in 2015, you become uh, the world's under 23 champion, beating Koretsky again. How was that? Like, you guys knew each other by then. It was a really close race. How yeah. how was it? Was it a mental race or was it physical? It was a, a great race. It was one of the best races that you could ever have i think like and i know a lot of people always from other teams and mechanics who are watching the race always say like it was one of the best races they ever saw and it was a super hard race between us both there was lots of attacks and in moments there where maybe one made a mistake and the other one came back um or got an advantage but it, i i do remember it being very muddy um so equipment choice was very important and having the right tires and i made some good decisions there and i think immediately some riders didn't i remember i think tituan karo was very strong that year as well in that race but i think he had the wrong tires on so he straight away was kind of not really a contender <laughs> But Victor and I, we, we were riding well in those conditions. And yeah, I remember coming into the last lap and I felt like I was maybe the stronger rider physically, slightly. Um, Victor was very, very fast on the descents in the mud, like he always is. And yeah, I just remember coming to a sprint finish and I made a move. There was like a steep little pinch up onto the start finish straight. And then from there, it's more, it was like a flat 200 meter sprint to the finish line and i went really early on the on the steep little climb and i got like a five meter gap and i just held on to the finish line so that was one of my the best moments for me ever in my career like winning that race it was super special i think i i was not really expected to win that race i, I had a solid year i was maybe top five in some races but not um winning i don't think i won a world cup that year no i was taking a look in the positions you were in the top 10 constantly but you didn't end up making it into the podium with the exception of one race so exactly. it was definitely it was definitely a surprise but it was with your already built rivalry at this point with Gretzky. yeah 
And I, I just think I got everything right. You know, I had a good altitude camp in, in Lavinia before that race. And as you know, Andorra is, is almost 2,000 meters elevation. Yeah. So that's also a really big factor. But I also think the conditions were a, re- were a huge factor that year and equipment choice was very important. And I just, yeah, I had good legs on the day and everything everything worked out perfectly. So um, I think the form was there that, that season, but I hadn't quite unlocked it in the other races. But luckily at World Champs was the one that... <laughs> that mattered the most and I really got it perfect. It was just one of those races, like people used to say, I had one of those days where just everything fits in and you get what you expect and what you deserve after all the work. Now I would like to make some more kind of personal questions and ask you, first of all, when you moved to Europe to the French family, how was it being away from home? Uh, it was a little difficult, but it was also like for me, it was so new and everything was really exciting as well. So um, I was looked after well by the family. Of course, the language barrier was the, the most difficult part. Um, you know, and it takes some time to really get comfortable with the environment, finding places to train on, on new trails and the other side of the world, doing all the mechanical stuff by yourself because you're still a privateer. Um, yeah, so that was I had I had a lot of support from people back home in New Zealand, but obviously they they couldn't travel with me to Europe at that time. And everyone's working. My my parents did not have a lot of money either, so they could not come with me. So it was really just up to me to to get over there and and make it happen. And I was really determined to make it work because I wanted to show that. I was one of the best in the world and and make a professional career out of it. So yeah, it's, it's difficult, but at the same time, I was really excited to be in a new place, a new environment and, and learn something as well, because I know like my fr- other friends, they were at, stuck at school <laughs> and they didn't have this opportunity to do what I was doing either. So I was going to make the most of it. Uh, it's definitely you had a chance and you worked hard for it. And it's it, I think it has clearly paid off both for your parents' effort and your own. It's been it's been definitely something. How are you feeling about the Commonwealth Games this year? Because uh, last Commonwealth Games, I believe, were in 2018 because, uh, well, we all know COVID happened. So everything delayed everything a little bit. And you came second on that race after Sam Gaze. So how are you feeling? You both are in a pretty good shape this year. I think you've mm. been quite close to each other in every World Cup race, actually, and that fighting each other. So how do you feel about that race? What are your sensations? Yeah, yeah. I know Sam is is very strong at the moment. Um, Commonwealth Games is actually one of those races that only comes around every four years as well, like, a, like the Olympics. So, um, yeah, this year... I don't know. It's it's a tough one to say because it, you know there can be some very strong riders. We have the Australians and South Africans, Canadians. Mm-hmm. If everyone shows up to the Commonwealth Games, you have Alan Hathaway, myself, Sam Gaze, Ben Oliver, Dan McConnell, Tom Pidcock potentially. Like these are top riders. Carter Woods, he's a World Cup winner from Canada. But <clears throat> the scheduling this year is very difficult. With um, the race falls between Snowshoe and Montsenan, right in. in it's Wednesday in between those two races, but it's in England <laughs> and those other two World Cups are in North America. So the scheduling there is, is really tough. And I think some riders obviously will, will choose to, to miss it and focus more on the World Cup series, especially if they have like a really good overall standing. But um, for me, it's really important. Like I've won it before in 2014. I was silver medalist last year. I have a, a really strong chance at a medal or, or a win again. Um, but 
yeah, it's hard to know where the form is at. I know Sam is riding very, very strong at the moment. And we have been quite similar, at least in the last two World Cups, mm-hmm. kind of around around each other. So we'll see where it goes. But it's a lower elevation as well. So the last couple of races are were at higher elevation. It's a little hard to to say where everyone is at. And and also when you take out all the other top riders, you know, you take out all the Swiss, the French, the Spanish, the Italians. <laughs> so you lose a lot of other good riders in the, in a and you have only, you know, let's say three or four really strong riders. It makes it a completely different race. So Absolutely. it makes it more tech, makes it more tactical. Instead of being just full gas, let's say from the start, it makes it a bit more of a tactical race. So you have to get those things right as well. And um, I expect it will be a close race and will be either some kind of sprint or a last lap shootout, really. I think that's how it, that's how the Commonwealth Games normally plays out. And from what I hear about the course, it's quite quite fast, not too much climbing. I think it will the race will be quite tight. Okay, so from what you just said, I mean, am I hearing there's going to be a New Zealand alliance against the English and the South African till the last lap, and then the last lap, hell breaks loose. Yeah, I think there's probably what we end up being. I mean, <laughs> I think there'll be maybe three or four riders still on the last lap. I think that's, that's will probably probably happen. And it's yeah, often being like that. So I will wait and see, and, you know, you never know how the race plays out and with mechanical issues or anything they can also happen. But I think from what I've heard, yeah, it's going to be a, a tight in a, in a hard race. Okay. Well, I mean, best of luck there. And now taking a little jump in time to last year, uh, last year was definitely a very important year. Uh, Olympic Games, they had been postponed. It was a very different year because uh, some some of the riders decided to program their trainings to arrive at their best in July 2020, and then everything changes in July 2020. So how is that for you? How do you mm. adapt to those new conditions? Yeah, it was, it was difficult. I missed out on going to Rio in 2016 through like a illness, um, and then... <laughs> I really wanted to be at the 2020 games. I felt like I had the form and I felt like I was the top Kiwi at that time. So I really wanted to go there. And when it was postponed with COVID, I was really worried that it wouldn't happen at all. So in the end, I was really glad that the race could happen in in 2021. And my form was was very good last year. It was probably Uh a big step forward for me from, from previous years. And I had some strong results again and back on the World Cup podium and, and things like that. So I was really confident I could, I, I could have a good race there. I felt like the course suited me very well, like steep, shorter climbs. Um, it was quite hot and that also suits me reasonably well. So yeah, I was confident I could have a good race, but at the same time, Olympic Games is <laughs> any, anything can happen. It's one chance in four years and yeah, you only get one shot at it. I know uh, that's that's one of the things about winning an Olympic race. It's it's one thing in a lifetime many times. And it was also, speaking about last year, if I may, I think it was the best form you've ever had so far. You were crazy. You were battling yourself against Pitcock, against Vanderpool, against Fulker, Schroeder. How was it battling with those people who you know are like, uh, Vanderpool and Pitcock are still young, but uh, Nino is a legend. Uh, Fluke at this point is building one. 
how was it being there and seeing yourself racing against those people who are considered and are known to be uh, strongest people in the circuit? That was cool. I mean, I've been in the era of Absalon and Kohlhavi racing those guys. Also Nino, since as long as you know, I can remember <laughs> he's been winning races and still is. And obviously having the likes of uh, Vanderpool and Peacock come along and, and their star power that they have, but also just their, their talent. It's quite incredible. So to be able to race those guys and, and to race hard against them and compete with them as well, that's that's always a big challenge. But I think it brings out the best in, in me as well when I get to race those guys. I always race better hmm. at a World Cup than or, you know, when you race these these massive Olympic games or, or pinnacle events because I think there's more on the line, there's more motivation for it, there's more, you train harder for it and you really focus on that. So I think it's it's cool to have those guys involved in the sport and to be to be around in what's quite, a I think, a special era for mountain biking. Definitely. I think uh, respecting Absalon, uh, Nino and all those guys, I think this era is going to be something too. I, they were legends, but I think this era is going to be filled up with legends too. And now uh, asking a little bit about emotions, how was it uh, jumping on that Olympic? Well, you weren't on the Olympic inauguration in Tokyo because you were already in the race, if I'm not mistaken. So how was it knowing you were going to represent New Zealand on Olympic Games? Oh, it's, it's an amazing feeling to represent your country. I mean, I, I've represented New Zealand before at World Champs and, and Commonwealth Games, but the Olympics is the pinnacle in the end. Mm-hmm. It's the one everyone wants to go to or say they were an Olympian, but more than anything, you want to go to the event. Well, at least for me, I, I, I didn't want to just say I was an Olympian. I want to go there and have a really strong performance and race. And I think more than anything, yeah, I was proud of how I raced because, and I can look back on that in the future and say, yeah, I raced hard. I raced to win a race for a medal and not just to make up the numbers. And in the end, yeah, I finished six, but I had a really strong race. Like I was in the contention for the medals. Absolutely, yes. Kind of the whole race. So I look back on that with a uh, fond memory and, and good pride as well that I represented my country with like, uh, I guess, 100% effort and, and did the country proud. So for me, that was the biggest thing. And it's a huge honor more than anything. And you also got six, which means you got an Olympic diploma and very very few people in the world can <laughs> say that, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's special. And yeah, I, I really hope the next the next games as well also i mean they will come around quick but i'll be 30 years old that's kind of in your peak or your prime for a mountain bike athlete and hopefully i can be even higher up the results list (laughs) (laughs) you never know it it is true but you can have nino with 38 winning olympic games i wouldn't be surprised at this point (laughs) yeah absolutely so talented is he's showing that it can still be done for sure yeah and now uh jumping on to a little bit of a more personal Anton Cooper. What do you like to do when you got time? Um, my my life in New Zealand is much probably different to my life in, in, in Europe, but at home I spend a lot of time at the coast, at the beach, uh, or in the water, spearfishing and, and fishing. Um also hanging out with my my mates. I, I like I like cars, I like driving. Um, so I'm often or also adventuring and, and kind of mountain climbing up in the snow, um, staying in backcountry, backcountry huts, we call them. I think it's re- refugio or something like that in Spanish or, or Italian, yeah. but we have a lot of them in, in New Zealand backcountry and you can go for 
days and days and not see anyone. And I really enjoy that because often in Europe or at least in, you know, Germany area where I'm based, it's, it's uh, a lot more densely populated. It's, you don't quite feel the nature in the same way as you do back home in New Zealand. So yeah, I really enjoy the ocean getting out there and, and also the back country and, and catch spending time with my friends and family. It's, it's a really important thing to do. Absolutely, especially while spending so much time away from home. It's something you obviously want to do. And also, from what I hear, you're still, even if you're not on the bike, still having a very active life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I love the outdoors. So, yeah, if I'm not on the bike, I still want to be outside doing something. So, something interesting. I, I don't think anyone's ever asked you, why did you decide to base yourself in Germany? Like, what was it that brought you there? So, when I first signed um yeah I, i my first pro contract was with trek world racing mm -hmm. and there was a one-year deal for my second year as an under 19 and at that stage i was still at high school so i was only coming to europe or south africa usa for some world cups and then i was going back home for school hmm. and but once i finished school i was like full-time professional and, and i signed a contract with uh cannondale factory racing mm -hmm. i had my all my under 23 years with cannondale but At the time, the team's service course, well, and it still is based in Germany with Cannondale. But um, yeah, the team set me up there, the team manager, close to his house, really, just the town over the hill in, in Esslingen. It's mm -hmm. not too far from Stuttgart. And I was, yeah, he got a, they got an apartment for me there and I stayed there. So that was where I based myself during the European season because basically the team's service course was there. And it's, it's quite handy to a lot of races to be based in Germany. It, you can drive to almost all the World Cups mm -hmm. and all, a lot of the other races, they're all within, yeah within probably five or six hours drive or less um, for a lot of them. So that was the main reason. And then the reason I'm still here now is that I, I met my, my girlfriend is German and I met her sometime in 2015. Um, and so that's, that's why I still, still stay here. Okay. It's, it's a heavy enough motive definitely to stay in the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I live somewhere else, I wouldn't have the girl, the same girlfriend. So. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely plays a, an important role. And now, yeah, random question: Has she managed for you to speak German, or do you speak German at all? Uh, very, very little. <laughs> very little. I understand a bit. Like I can read the menu at a restaurant quite easily, or you know, at the supermarket and small things. But the problem I have is that she speaks perfect English, and all her family speaks English, and any other friends she have that i get introduced to also speak english so it makes you kind of lazy when you when you don't have to really try to learn german and i i think also the other thing is i spend quite a bit of time outside of germany mm -hmm. i can only with the visas kind of situation the maximum i can spend like each year is only 90 days so um i have to be outside the country in which i am traveling for races and stuff anyway so there's a lot of travel and time on the road and With the team, we speak English and the World Cups, we speak English. So <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it just makes you a bit, I guess you could say, lazy to learn it. But um, you're, it's also, I think, something I struggle with actually quite a lot to learn a different language. And I think it helps a lot more when you learn it from a young age. But at school, we never, I never learned a language at high school and <laughs> I never learned anything like that. I was, so yeah, maybe I missed out on something there. But I think it's, I certainly think it's a good thing to know a lot of languages. But yeah, it's something I haven't done yet. <laughs> well i guess once you speak english everybody else does so that kind of makes it life a little bit easier definitely <laughs> yeah. 
Now, asking a little bit about the future, uh, I think you're very happy with Track Factor Racing Team. Uh, it's definitely you've been there for five years now. It's I guess it's been a good good time. Can you tell me one of your best memories in the team? Like not winning a race, but within the team or with teammates or with the mechanics? Oh, there's a lot of good memories. Um, one of the best for me was this year. We, um, Vlad and I, with our results and uh, both months, uh, sorry, Nova Mesto and in Leo Gang, we won the team's overall classification mm-hmm. and that was actually the first time that i ever had that nova mesto was i think the first time i ever shared a podium uh woke up podium with a teammate and so to have us both there and then winning the, the teams i think that was i really enjoyed that moment a lot more than i than i thought i might it had been a long time coming but also when you win the world cup with only two riders um the teams it's also more significant because they normally take the well they take the top three mm-hmm. riders but so if you're winning with two riders, you've you've obviously had a good job and done a good a good race. And yeah, I think in recent memory, that's that's one of the best ones. But I have a lot of great memories, times with you know Emily, Emily Batty, and Sergio and Stefan and riders who have come and gone over the years. But right now we have a, a great team, a great environment, and I'm super happy to be there and 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 how the whole team feels. It's yeah, it's really cool. Man, that's truly amazing to hear, really. And now I'm going to ask you from the teammates you've got right now, who's the funniest? You got to let us know. <laughs> the funniest. I don't. Know. <laughs> oh, I think Riley is quite entertaining. You know, he is. He's quite. He's very youthful still and young, and so he has quite this. Uh, I wouldn't say childlike, but almost like his sense of humor is <laughs> childlike. So, I think that makes us all feel a little bit younger again. Um, but everyone is is entertaining. I think everyone is like has a good sense of humor is not too pc about it, politically correct about everything we can have a joke and laugh and no one gets really offended by about anything so yeah i think it's a good environment to be in and, and i have a lot of yeah time for the teammates it's it's cool to be a part of that it really sounds like a like an amazing team atmosphere and it, it, at the end of the day having a good team atmosphere it's really important because it's the people you spend the most time with besides your yeah. family and it's even the family the on the road yeah. yeah, exactly. And now you just mentioned Riley and you got on the factory team, uh, you got under 23, Riley, Maddie, and Harriet. Well, where do you, do you see those riders? They've, they've got a great level. What do you think their potential is? Yeah, well, I think they're all very strong. Um, and under 23 is still uh, growing and developing years, you know, like you don't really see the full potential until a rider maybe makes the elite category. Um, but I think Riley has already shown, I think he won World Cups last year already as a first year. Um, and and now in the podium already last weekend in, in Dora. So he's very strong and he's got a lot of talent and potential for sure. Um Maddie is young, but she's already getting top tens in the under twenty three field. And as you know, the the women's field has a lot of depth now. Oh yeah, more than it ever has. So that is a is a great. Those are great results as well. And I think the women always develop at different rates. I I remember you say let's say with someone like Luana, um, Kate Courtney, they were not winning every single race. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's juniors or and it's not until maybe late under 23s mm-hmm. or into the elite category that suddenly they are these superstars. So the main thing for those those girls, Hattie as well, um, is where is developing their skills and keeping keeping working hard and learning lots from the the top riders. They have obviously us guys to learn stuff from, but they have two of the very best female riders in the world with oh, yeah. Olympic champion and world champions. Um, that they can learn from. I think that's very important for them. But we'll see what Hattie does with the EWS. She's super talented um, enduro rider. Yeah. And her skills, you know, when you see her on the racing against the other the other under-23 girls, she has, like, a big advantage there. But I think it depends what she puts her mind to, where she goes. <laughs> <laughs> and how is it having as teammates both the world and Olympic champions? Uh, do there was reference? Uh, do they give you advice? Is it? I mean, I, I must imagine it's it's a pleasure to ride with them and have them as teammates. But like, what do you see in them that makes them so special to have gone into such great levels? Yeah, it's awesome to share um, the team with those those girls. It's, I mean, it's so rare that you could have the, the world champion mm-hmm. and the Olympic champion on the same team. But I think more than anything, I've known Yolanda since you know I first came to Europe. My first World Cup, I remember meeting her there. I stayed with her. My second World Cup, I stayed with her family in, in their caravan at, at Valdesol. <laughs> so we've been family friends for a long time and she's come and stayed in New Zealand at my place and I know they're her family well too. So yeah, I'm obviously friends first and foremost, but also really happy to see them do so well and Evie I get on really well with. Um and I think, yeah, when you when you see how well those those girls especially interact with the fans, I think mm-hmm. that's that's awesome to see because they're such superstars, but they still make the time for, for the fans and and because at the end of the day the fans are what really makes our allows us to have our job. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah, without the fans, Trek will not pay us. So, um, yeah, <laughs> those girls, they know that as well. But they're both really good people and um, quite grounded as well, down to earth. Well, that's, that's really good to hear. I mean, I imagine I wish that someday they'll they'll be, they'll be happy to come for me to interview them. It'd be a great honor to have <laughs> both of them. And now uh, wrapping it up a little bit. Uh, you've had, I'd say, quite a difficult year. In December, you were training and you got run over by a car. <laughs> yeah. How is yeah, that? It was, wasn't the best way to start the season. And, and you know, like, the season starts a little later. In, at least um, Europe, the first World Cup was not until, I think, 10th of April. So you have a bit of time for things to heal. But <clears throat> at the same time, it's very difficult because... December, like just for Christmas is when I broke it. December, January, February are really important times for doing good, steady training and building a, a proper base. So doing a lot of 20, 25 hour weeks, let's say longer, longer days on the saddle and building up that base. And what really changed was that I could not do those sort of hours because I was stuck on the indoor trainer. I could not ride my mountain bike until maybe the 20th of February, like a few days just before national mountain bike. Wow, yeah. And so, yeah, really I couldn't do the hours that I wanted all my time and effort was going into focusing on recovery and doing some efforts on the indoor trainer to be ready for mountain bike nationals. And I was, you know, I worked really hard, really, really hard mentally. It was very tough, but I was able to, um win the mountain weight national still but then just after that your focus it turns to the oceania championships 
a few weeks later and then three days after that you fly to brazil for the first world cup so there's no real time in there to to kind of get this base training in and and to do a proper build-up so that was a really difficult start and it took me a while to kind of get going also in brazil i was really quite sick if i'm not mistaken the whole team uh kind of got a bug on their stomach or something because the weekend before the world cup we saw Jolanda, uh, I'm going to say killing it, to say it politely, but it, yeah. was, it was crazy the race she did uh, the weekend before Petropolis woke up. She absolutely smashed it and she had a great race. And then suddenly the weekend after, the whole team was was kind of gone. Yeah, you, I know. You guys it know changed, what, what it was? It changed so quick. I mean, um, <clears throat> so when I first got there, a few days after I first got there, then some of the staff, came down with COVID. So first it was one of the mechanics. Yeah, he had a positive COVID test and we're testing every day. Mm -hmm. um, and then another one of the staff members got COVID the next day. And then that evening, another one of the staff members had COVID. Ooh. And so all everyone else, all us riders, we thought, well, maybe we catch it too because we'd spend so much time with them in massage and, you know, dinner and I all imagine. this stuff. So um, in the end, none of the riders caught COVID, but Riley, he came with like a bit of a cold from the plane and then Yolanda she picked something up she had like a, also like a bad cold mm -hmm. and then I thought I was completely fine but the night before like Thursday night so Friday morning I woke up just before short track and I had a really bad night I had like fever I was starting to get feverish I had a bad stomach stomach cramps and so I thought oh for sure I have COVID as well but I turns out I didn't catch COVID. I had all the negative rat tests and PCR tests, and but um, and then Evie also caught the same stomach bug that I had. So she managed to make it to the start line of the of the short track, but she wasn't well enough. It wasn't well enough to start the cross country. Whereas I I couldn't make it to the short track, so I had to skip that. But by Sunday morning like my fever had gone and that's the main thing. Like you, it's really dangerous to race with a fever, obviously. Oh, yeah. but my stomach was um, a little better. So I decided to start the race. And in the end, I didn't race too bad. Like I, I finished, finished 16th. So I know I really, I had a, like, I felt really fresh the first two laps and I really struggled. And then the last lap I made up a few more positions as well. So all things considered was not too bad. And yeah, but Yolanda and Evie both, both had to miss out the cross country race. And which was a shame because, yeah, like you say, I think Yolanda won the race the week before by like six and a half minutes. I, know. I, I had never seen something like that with that level because uh, we got to remember what many teams did was fly in two weeks before the World Cup so they could kind of uh, adapt themselves to the climate and to the humidity and the conditions of the race. And what the organization did was they did, uh, was it a C1 race, UCI? I think it was a C1. Yeah. Yeah. We, the weekend before the World Cup. So riders could kind of test themselves. And it was also a great attraction for maybe more amateur riders to be able to be riding against those, those riders, like huge yeah. level Olympic champion, a uh, world champion. It's crazy. And uh, now uh, wrapping it up, uh, finally, I would, I really appreciated you giving me the opportunity. It's been amazing. I would spend five more hours asking you questions. Okay. There's a lot, a lot to talk about. I find this really interesting and it's, it's really been really nice having this talk. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it too. And now as the last thing, I'm going to ask you to give me a song 
to put at the end of the podcast, uh, something you enjoy listening to can be something to relax, something to work out. I don't really mind. It's truly up to you. <laughs> well, I think probably my go-to songs before the race are more like uh, to get me amped up. <clears throat> um, Lincoln Park in the end is one that I often listen to before okay. the race, but it's not gonna it's not gonna relax you. <laughs> it might make you want to race a World Cup. <laughs> Lincoln Park in the end it is okay so thank you so much Anton truly I've really appreciated it and I will be seeing you race soon hopefully and best of luck in the Commonwealth and the rest of the season thank you thanks a lot no matter how hard you try keep that in mind I'm designed this product to explain in due time all I know time is a valuable thing Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings Watch it count down to the end of the day The clock takes life away It's so unreal Didn't look out below Watch the time go right out the window Trying to hold on but Didn't even know I wasted it all Just to watch you go I kept everything inside And even though I tried It all fell apart What it meant to me Will eventually be a memory of a time I tried so Put in